What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome one, welcome all. It is the NFC East Mixtape presented to you in partnership by Blogging the Boys, Bleeding Green Nation, and SB Nation. Yes, we speak for the big-time bosses. He is Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation fame. I am RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. This is the greatest crossover that mankind has ever attempted. BLG, how goes it? RJ, it is July 6th. Hope you had a happy 4th. And uh, yeah, that's all I've got today. I uh, I wanted to start with a very special question. Uh, BLG and I are recording on Tuesday, July 6th, and the Italy-Spain Euros matchup is mm. going on. Uh, it's on in the TV behind you, BLG. Sorry. Uh, but uh, right before the match started, I saw a bunch of Italy fans dressed up, obviously, like wearing kits for Italy and different fl- you know, flags and colors and everything. Uh, there were a handful of people dressed up as slices of pizza obviously uh to go with the italian theme whatever so my question to you blg is if we were at an event and we were representing the united states and you had to dress up as a type of food what would that be like in this same circumstance applicable to our home country slices of pizza still (laughs) it's it feels it feels uh like literally incorrect I feel like the right answer probably is like hot dog, right? Especially coming off the uh, the hot dog eating contest. Right. Joey Chestnut, what, like broke his other record? What are you, like 76 now? I think yep. he's at in 10 minutes, which is just insane. Uh, I saw Stats isn't a big fan of competitive eating. I believe uh, that. My, my take on that is just like, I love food a lot. And the idea of like moving food from one point to another point in a really short amount of time, that's not like eating necessarily. That's just like like food displacement or placement. Mm-hmm. Um Whatever. I like food a lot, so I'm not going to like rail against it. But uh, yeah, I guess the answer to your question is hot dogs. What would you think it is? I was thinking I actually once as a kid uh, for Halloween dressed up as a, um, a like the McDonald's fries box. You know what I mean? Like the red mm. little thing that the fries come in. So I was thinking something like that. Um, so if you were the hot dog and I was the fries, I mean, I feel like a you know natural pairing type thing there. Um, so that could work really well. I will say I'm not like against the competitive eating. I I am, however, I'm not against it. I just don't get down for the different um, come to this wing spot and have the super atomic wings. Uh, mm-hmm. And if, if you can eat a whole plate, they're free. Like to me, to your point, like I want to enjoy food. I don't want to punish myself. You know, like to me, that's not enjoyable to like, eat something that's going to make me feel terrible. You know what I mean? So I actually did that very thing in uh, this place called Salvador Molly's in Portland, Oregon, where there was like a habanero fritter challenge. And I think there were like six of them. And I just downed those things as fast as I could. But then you had to eat the sauce too, like the habanero sauce that came mm. with it. And man, that thing was killer. I agree with you in generally that I don't want spicy things so hot that like they're not enjoyable. Because what's the point at that point? Like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, some people like that. I guess if you like the thrill, fine. But for me, I kind of like things to be spicy, but still, you know, not not too spicy where you can't enjoy it. 
Mm, well said. Uh, so we ended last week's NFC's mixtape not really knowing what we would get into this week and not trying to brag, but I came up with an incredible idea. So shout out to me. Uh, this is the first of a two part series that we will be doing here on the NFC's mixtape. If you can't tell, we like continuation a lot here on the show. Uh, so I actually let BLG pick. Uh, one of the episodes is going to be the most painful losses that each of our teams has endured, specifically against all three NFC East rivals over the course of the last decade. The other episode will obviously be the most prominent wins, victories that left us feeling, um, you know, just on top of the world, so to speak, like a giant hot dog or a big plate of spicy wings, whatever you want to call it. That analogy failed. Uh, either way, uh, BLG, because you are an all-seeking masochist, you chose pain first. You wanted to talk about the most painful losses that each of our teams have endured against NFC's rivals. Why did you choose pain first? I chose pain first because some of those came to mind easier, <laughs> I think. And uh, in general, too, I'm a big, like, let's get the stuff that we don't like out of the way first and then finish mm. on a high note. You know, like when you're having a meal and, like, you have some stuff in your plate that you're not, like, crazy about. I want to get that first. I want to get through that. And then I want to end my final bite on a good note. I don't want to go out on a bad note. Right. Okay. So to be totally crystal clear here, we are each going to talk about, in BLG's case, Eagles games, in my case, Cowboys games, that were losses to all three of the other division rivals that were just, they were tough, BLG. It was hard to go to bed that night. It was tough to get up the next morning. Uh, so do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Because the choice has been yours, this whole sort of theme, and I don't want to wreck that now. Yeah. So let's go back to 2011. So you're I'm going, guessing oh, one. You're going first. Yeah. Or are you guessing mine? Oh, oh, so wait, what do you want to do here? Because I, I just no, I, lo- I left the choice up to you, but you just went to a year. I don't know if you – I have a game in 2011, but I didn't know if you were asking me to go or if you were going yourself. I was just going with my pick, with okay, my, go my first one. Go for it. Which was the Eagles losing to the – now, let me preface this by saying the Eagles, RJ, as you know, have dominated the New York Giants. So this, like, wasn't the easiest thing to pick from a particular game because the Eagles don't really have those devastating losses. They're 15-5. and five against the Giants in their last 20 games. So mm-hmm. five games to pick from. Not the biggest sample size there. Uh, so this one kind of goes beyond the game itself. The game was definitely disappointing. It was 2011, RJ. It was early in the season. It was just week three. And this is the dream team year, mind you. You know, this is the lockout season. This is the year the Eagles, you know, signed a bunch of free agents. They're supposed to be all in. Um, there's a lot of pressure on Andy Reid at this point to kind of like, you know, finally, finally get over the hump. And the Eagles are one and one after losing kind of a disappointing game in Atlanta where Michael Vick got knocked out at the end and Mike Kafka had to come in. But, you know, there's still hopes here, and everyone thinks they can beat the Giants at the link in Philly, and they don't. They lose. They drop to 1-2. and two. It is The Eagles have two more losses after that to go to 1-4. and four. So that game, like, wasn't the most painful game uh, itself, but the context of that game, RJ, is devastating because it was those 2011 Giants that ended up going to win the Super Bowl in the most like flukiest, luckiest way ever. Like I, I, that run drives me nuts, RJ. I can't believe it happened. As I was watching it, I was like, this should not be happening. This is not like the best team in the NFL beating inferior opponents. Like this is an inferior opponent somehow making it further and further each week. That drove me crazy. If the Eagles had won that game, RJ, like if the, if there was just one more Eagles win or one more Giants loss, the Giants wouldn't have made the playoffs that year. They wouldn't went on that fluky run. Maybe it would have been the Eagles instead. Probably not. I don't believe that. But the Giants wouldn't have wouldn't have happened, and that was devastating to me to see the Giants have that Super Bowl season. Um, so I agree with you in theory, certainly. And my you know Giants answer for the Cowboys uh, 
well, we'll piggyback off of this, but for the purposes of this game, um, incidentally enough, the Giants beat the Atlanta Falcons in the wild card round of the playoffs that year, who mm-hmm. the Eagles were coming off of a loss against here. Uh, looking at this box score, BLG, like the first two Giants touchdowns are difficult to look at. I, I would imagine for you, it's really difficult to remember a Brandon Jacobs, who I I still don't know if he's real uh, in wanting to return to the NFL or not, but a Brandon Jacobs 40-yard touchdown pass from Eli Manning. Mm. Now, I'm looking at the box score, so I don't know if this is like a screenplay type thing, uh, but that is really depressing, as is the following touchdown, a 74-yard yeah. Victor Cruz touchdown. I do not want to hate on Victor Cruz at all, but like he, to me, is so emblematic of that giant season. Like He wasn't this like fluky wide receiver, but all of his plays were these fluky, big-time, not sustainable things that somehow, someway, always managed to kind of repeat themselves in the most inopportune time for your team, if that makes sense. This is also kind of devastating. I mean, like this is like we're seeing that Namdi like wasn't the answer after the Eagles signed him <laughs> in the offseason, and like DRC wasn't doing too great. Dominique Rogers Camardi at the time either. So that was this was kind of like the dream team coming apart. It's like you know one loss to the Falcons. Okay, I think that went to overtime or that one that game came down to the wire. Jeremy Macklin like dropped a pass, and I was like, all right, you know maybe the Eagles aren't like doomed yet. But then when they, this loss happened, it was like, oh no. Like things might like be wrong here, and this might be a, a really bad season. And I think they dropped to like four and eight and came back to finish eight and eight. So they did come back at the end, although it was kind of too little, too late. Um, but uh, but yeah, again, that that Giants run, RJ. It was I have to get to it. Is this the craziest thing? So there's that Falcons game that you mentioned, which okay, legitimate win, but kind of like fortunate to be playing a cold weather team at home when I believe the Falcons might have had a better record. Mm-hmm. Like so fortunate in that respect. Fortunate in that they play the Packers in Green Bay and. I think it had to be like a record for amount of passes that Aaron Rodgers had dropped in a game. It was nuts. Like the, the Packers couldn't catch anything that day. Well, and, and the, the Giants, Giants had they got that fluky Hail Mary at the end of the first I was gonna, half. I was just was it, I was, was just gonna say that Knicks? too. Was it a Keem Knicks, I think? I forget who, but they had a Hail Mary. So like yeah. you throw that in there. Uh then the, the NFC championship game, the Kyle Williams game, where he's like muffing oh. punts left and right. Uh Ahmad Bradshaw. When one of the worst non-calls in NFL history, Ahmad Bradshaw fumbles the ball. You can replay this clip and look it up online. The ref blows the whistle after the ball has been stripped out. And then uh, the the 49ers clearly recover it. But the refs say, oh, no, we blew it dead before the ball came out. And you can't challenge it or whatever because, like, the whistle was blown. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, we all saw that was a fumble. And it was, like, in 49ers or it was in Giants territory. The 49ers would have had at least a field goal out of that, if not a game-sealing touchdown. Like, they, it was, and then obviously in the Super Bowl too, um, Wes Welker drops Welker like this dropped, big yeah. first down catch. Yeah, that he makes like ninety nine out of hundred times. Like I get championships, championships undeniably take a little luck here and there at some points, but like this was like just an unnaturally like favorable luck for the Giants. And to this point, not just being a bitter Eagles fan here, I saw Ed Valentine write something uh, like along those lines recently, and I was like, yes, thank you. Like this is so yes, you're right. Now, obviously, you know, he's not going to talk it down as much as I did, but he like basically admitted that that was really a lucky run, which it was. So um, I agree with everything you said. And so spoiler alert, my Cowboys loss to the Giants also takes place in 2011. Unfortunately, I had two options to choose from in 2011. The Cowboys got swept by the Giants that season. The first game that they played against one another was December 11th of that season. Uh, You will recall, BLG, that the Cowboys were coming off of an overtime loss to the Arizona Cardinals uh, when Jason Garrett, who in his first season full-time as the Cowboys Mm. head coach, incidentally 
uh, iced his own kicker in th- what was at the time <laughs> a rookie, Dan Bailey. And uh, this was a really hectic game that the Cowboys played against the Giants on December 11th. They lost 37 to 34 because Jason Pierre-Paul blocked a, speaking of Dan Bailey, Dan Bailey field mm. goal attempt in the final moments. That, to your point, kept the Giants alive on the season. The Cowboys went on. They beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the next week. They lost on Christmas Eve to the Eagles. Uh, Tony Romo hurt his hand in that game. But then they came back and lost the first of three straight win and in de facto NFC East title games uh, to the Giants on New Year's Day that propelled the Giants, obviously, to victory. So your whole point about, like, man, if the Eagles just beat the, the Giants in week three, I mean, none of this happens. If the Cowboys beat the Giants just once, and I actually wrote a, a huge what if about this. And I actually talked to Ed that day. Uh, we did a podcast at the time. This was two years ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Cowboys-Giants game that I'm talking about, BLG, but it was on Sunday Night Football. It was at AT&T Stadium, and Tony Romo threw up to Miles Austin late in the game. If Miles catches this, it's a first down. They you know, obviously just kind of drained the clock out. Miles lost the ball in the AT&T Stadium lights, uh, which gave the Giants the ball back. They went scored, and the Cowboys couldn't tie the game up. And so I've thought about this what if a lot of times. Like you talked about the run the Giants went on. You said that maybe the Eagles win the NFCs. I think the Cowboys win the NFCs. Like that's my mm. answer. Just because they were in better position to do so. They actually finished eight and eight. So by virtue of this one win, they finished nine and seven. But I don't think the Cowboys go on to win the Super Bowl. However, no. I think I think the ripple effect in NFL history is massive because do the Packers lose? The Packers are 15 and one at this point in time. Mm. Do they do they get back to a second straight Super Bowl? The legacy that we look at now of Mike McCarthy is very different if that is the case, <laughs> and certainly of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, do the San Francisco 49ers get to a Super Bowl? I, I actually mm. think they win, honestly. I think if they get there, mm. they beat New England. And then, you know, extrapolating that a little bit, the following season in 2012 when Alex Smith is hurt and Colin Kaepernick comes in on Monday Night Football against the Bears, I just – you know how, how big of a driver narrative is? I don't think there's any way – that San Francisco keeps Colin Kaepernick in for what is at the time then the reigning Super Bowl winning quarterback in Alex Smith. Granted, that's just one tree of this hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, what if New England wins? I mean, certainly you could you could play that out, right? Like if New England wins, Brady and Belichick get their fourth that much sooner. They aren't regarded as this like weird team for uh, being unable to beat Eli Manning and the Giants. The legacy of Eli Manning is obviously very different. Uh, Wes Welker gets a ring. Like it's so sad that both Denver and New England won Super Bowls and that Wes Welker didn't get a piece of any of that. And, you know, it's it's a really weird overall like change in, in terms of like the butterfly effect of this game. But th- this one was so tough to, to rest on, especially because the Cowboys lost the second time. They were much, they could have won this game. I don't think the Cowboys would have ever won in week 17, but they should have won this game. Yeah, I mean, whether it's the Eagles or Cowboys there, I mean, we both agree not beating the undefeated Patriots in the Super Bowl, probably getting bounced by maybe Green Bay or, or maybe the Falcons, whoever. I don't know. Um yeah, that is crazy. When we, I know, like it's out there. This isn't news, but like to think that like Tom Brady has won as much as he has, but he couldn't beat Nick Foles or Eli Manning twice in the Super but Bowl. He's, it's but just he's like, beaten Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, like it's stupid. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. Football is is weird and crazy and nuts, but it's fun. And that's why we like it. Uh, what, what's the Giants or what's the Cowboys' record against the Giants in the last ten years? They are thirteen and seven against the New York wow. Giants over the last ten years. Yeah. So to I, your I point, guessed, not a lot like, to choose from. <laughs> Yeah, um, so they've been swept by them, which is additives. They were swept by them in 2011, 
and then they were swept by them in 2016. That, those were two of the Cowboys' three losses in the Dak and Zeke rookie year. Uh, the third loss came in Week 17 against the Eagles, which you know was a meaningless game. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's very 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 rare that the Cowboys ultimately lose to the Giants. They also the, their last game that they played was a loss to the Giants. But again, I mean. They started Andy Dalton. One of the losses in this this run was when Matt Castle was playing quarterback for them in 2015. Like I, it's hard to really count those for me. Uh, but generally speaking, when the Cowboys are at full strength, they generally have their way with the Giants. Yeah, even with the the Eagles and the Giants, again, you look at those five losses. Like Matt Barkley had to play as a rookie, like right. one of those games a lot. Um, like Trent Edwards was playing in the final game of Andy Reid's career with the Eagles, where they got like blown out forty two to seven in Week Seventeen when the team, you know, was clearly just like checked out because they knew the head coach was getting fired and everything. So yeah, so even like some of those Giants wins weren't even like the best wins. So, or uh, yeah, it was it was hard to pick. It was really it was or it was easy to pick in that like uh, this is the only moment I could say like hard See, to pick in that. There wasn't here's, actually one game that just killed me. Here's, that's what I'm saying. That, like, this is so fascinating because it's week three. Like, mine is in uh-huh. December. You know what I mean? Like, that, so there's like a mm-hmm. natural, like, ah, yeah, the playoffs are on the line. You know, like you can easily connect those dots. Like, I, it's hard to come up with a week three loss that's devastating that comes against anybody. You know what I mean? Just because it's so early in the season. I mean, it's all about hindsight, obviously. Right. Like in this case, like it wasn't in the moment again. It, 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 there was a little bit of that, like I said, with the dream team, kind of like, oh no, maybe this team might be bad or something that was creeping in. But it wasn't like you know, season is over because it's week three, as you said. But uh, in hindsight, you know, uh, definitely a a big. I, I just can't believe that run happened. It just bothers me. It bothers me so much. I remember having like so that was the first time too. I was on like SB Nation blog for like another team's championship, and like so after every. You know, because we'd have the game threads up at BGN. I'm sure, you know, same thing for blogging the boys back then. And Giants fans would just come to the comments on BGN <laughs> and just troll the crap out of us. And it made me so mad. It made me so furious. It's like, you guys don't, this is just gaslighting. I'm being gaslit right now. Like, you guys aren't this good. You're clearly winning. But this, like, this just sucks. It was so frustrating. It's definitely, to me, there are certain, and I think we all look at this differently. There's certain, like, landmark years in NFL history. And, like, you know, be, and for the record, by the way, with, regards to all this blg and i kept it in the last decade which is why we have the records for the teams in the last decade uh but like looking at kind of like modern nfl history as far as like our age group is concerned like i feel like 2006 was this landmark year for the nfl commissioner goodell's first season there the first season that uh sunday night football package is on nbc tony romo takes over as the cowboys quarterback there's there's these important like kind of checkpoints that happen there uh 2011 was kind of this throwaway year like some some seasons are just like these throwaway years you know what i mean like it was the season coming off the lockout you know what i mean like so it was just it's, I don't want to say it's like it doesn't mean as much or something like that, but it's easy for me to kind of like just, you know, pretend like it never happened. Um, and like, I, I mean, Indianapolis is awesome, but like the aesthetic of that Super Bowl just doesn't stick out in my mind. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for like I have to really squint in my brain to see that Super Bowl, if that makes sense. And it, like it wasn't a great uniform matchup, like nothing about it was really that great. We had just seen those two teams like it didn't have any real juice to me. So do we want to get on to our next one here? We do. So we were having this discussion in the pre-show meeting that lasted four hours. Uh, do you want to go chronologically? Do you just want to go by a team? This is your choice, BLG. So make the wise one. I'm going to go against what I said oh. and go by team because I feel like we got to save Eagles Cowboys for maybe last. And okay. that brings me to 2020 Washington. Week Whoa. one. So oh speaking of early. <laughs> Can't get earlier than this. Um, I was looking back, and there weren't like a lot of like super devastating losses to Washington. I mean, there was. I think it was like 2014 when Mark Sanchez was playing, and the like Chip era was like kind of beginning of the end, like going bad. But uh, I think 
I had to pick Washington last year, week one, because that was basically the end of the Carson Wentz era. Like that was basically when I had fully turned on him at that point. Like, like I, I just thought it was the beginning. I don't even know to say the beginning of the end is right. It was kind of just like the end. Like it was, it was the first half of that game last year. The Eagles are up seventeen. No, RJ, uh, six forty. Six fifty-four remaining in the second quarter. It looks like they're cruising. Carson Wentz is looking great. By the way, like he didn't have a great training camp last year, and I was kind of concerned about him already heading into the season. But he'd kind of like erased that. He was looking good. The offense was clicking. I was like, okay, maybe the Eagles are going to be a little bit better this year than we thought. And then the Eagles lose that game by a score of twenty-seven to seventeen. Twenty-seven unanswered points for Washington. Carson Wentz to threw two terrible interceptions in there. And also, just from like a devastating factor, I know Washington didn't go on to have this great year, but they did win a division. And it kind of feels like that win kind of gave them some confidence as opposed to like that could have been a game where, okay, new new head coach and everything. But uh, it's like same old Washington team. Like this felt kind of like different. It's like, oh, no, Ron Rivera's here. There's kind of like a different energy here. This team might catch some people by surprise. So uh, devastating from that aspect of like that was the end of the Carson Wentz era for me. See, this one I completely understand in a way I didn't the previous one for you because because it was so early in the season, it's kind of like um it's kind of like if the Sixers don't trade Ben Simmons, right? Like the moment next season starts, you're gonna just it's it's just like you're counting down. You know what I mean? Like that's all it is. Like you're just you know, like you're Andy Dufresne in the tunnel. You know what I mean? Like you know you mm. have to trudge through all this like literal crap to get to, you know the end just to start over and starting over is this process in and of itself. And so like, to your point, you're saying like, that was the point of realization. I know you, ha- I don't, I don't mean this in like you were a Homer way, but you held on Carson a lot longer than most. Like a lot of people jump ship way sooner than you did. And so to have that realization, I wouldn't that, say that. I wouldn't say that's true. Well, at least the Eagles fans in my mention uh, jumped okay. off earlier or, or in my mentions uh, jumped off earlier than you, but uh, yeah, like that would that would be really disappointing. And that's really how I felt like in 2019 with Jason Garrett, right? Like, oh, man, like you you just have to get to the end just to start over. And then even that process is so you know difficult as well. Uh, so I totally get that. I think there's nothing more emblematic of this loss than the fact that it is still Dwayne Haskins's most recent win as a starting quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> uh, so that is tough to take uh, right there. I I mean, this this is tough cookies, dude. It set a bad tone for a really horrible season to come in which the Eagles would only win four and a half games for counting the tie in there. Like it was just you knew that se- you knew the season wasn't going to be good after that. Right. Like you don't you don't go up 17-0 below that game to Dwayne freaking Haskins, who stinks, and then have a good season after like that. Like that just doesn't happen. So it was the precursor for an awful season and the beginning again i don't even want to say beginning of the end because like i feel like that happened sooner but just the end essentially of the carson wentz era didn't really rebound from there and yeah it was just it, it was a terrible season last year if you know the answer admit it but if you don't do you know how many do you know how many times carson threw the ball in this game um it was a lot it was a decent I want, amount i want you sure. to guess that's why so if, if you have the box score open don't cheat and act and be I like don't. oh yeah i'm gonna say like 37 42 times okay 42 times i mean and it was a season worst um this is not a great look for me given that i hyped up miles sanders last week uh season low rushing guard performance standpoint for the eagles in 2020 although to be fair they did technically never play that badly again in a rushing sense but so uh yeah this is this is rough dude um 
their lowest expected points from an offensive standpoint all season long. Mm. Gross. Um, wow. So uh, on that note, let's take a break because I feel really bad. That, that was a really good, like you can't, we can't like hype up Dwayne Haskins and not go, you know, take, take a moment for ourselves. So nobody go anywhere. We'll be right. Oh, we'll be right back after a very quick break from our sponsors. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back. It is the NFC's mixtape. BLG put on his human hot dog costume. Uh, BLG, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel like, by the way, hot dogs, like Chicago does hot dogs right. Thank you, Chicago, for doing it right. It should be like a, a meal, an experience. There should be a lot of stuff on there. I mean, there's a time, obviously, when you're grilling at home and you don't want to like put lettuce or, or tomato. You put home, lettuce but... on a hot dog? No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking <laughs> tomato, celery, salt, onions, mustard, sport peppers, uh, the relish, pickle spear. You know everything that goes on a uh, Chicago dog. Mm-mm. No, that's great. It should be like a, it should be a meal. It shouldn't just be. A, I mean, obviously, again, if you're, you're barbecuing at home and you don't want to do all that, that's understandable. But if you're like getting hot dogs as a meal, that's how they should be. Mm, see like that much food like i need a fork and knife at that point you know what i mean like mm. it's just it's too complicated uh blg you did not mention uh philadelphia's record against washington over the last decade what is it it's 11 and 9 so just uh, out ahead there's a stretch there like kind of uh where they couldn't beat washington at all and that was why uh at the time it kind of seemed silly to some people that eagles players were dumping gatorade on Doug Peterson after week one in 2017, but they hadn't beat Washington in like, like quite a while. I think it was like that. It was like 2014 early in the season was their last win over Washington before that week one win. So there was a time where Washington kind of had their number. And then recently, I think really until this season, they had Washington's number really from that Super Bowl season uh, Mm. until last year. So kind of an interesting stretch where it wasn't like constantly back and forth. It's kind of like, like big runs, like, Oh, we own the side. Now we own this side. So yeah, just out ahead of 500 with 11, nine record. Interesting. So Philadelphia is ahead of 500 against both New York and Washington. Interesting to note. Huh? No big deal. Not saying that for any reason uh, that we'll get Mm. to in a little bit. But um, so my choice for Dallas, uh, they are also just like they are against the Giants. They are 13 and seven against Washington over the last 10 years. Uh, So very successful against both teams. And generally speaking, they are very, very, very successful in the Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott era. Their losses have come under inordinate circumstances. Obviously, they got swept last year for the first time since 2012. uh, But the first game was Andy Dalton 
when both their tackles were out, Zach Martin was out, Andy Dalton got hurt, and then their second game came under extreme emotional circumstances. Uh, we recorded Friday Football Friday that week, as we've discussed many times. Uh, but so I mentioned it was the first time they got swept last year since 2012. My most painful Cowboys loss to Washington in the last 10 years was week 17 of the 2012 season, BLG. Mm-hmm. I mentioned how the Cowboys, uh, you know, they lost uh, win and in games in back-to-back-to-back week 17s to all three of their division rivals. I, I'm glad for this, but I really feel like that is not talked about enough. Like, that is a unique level of disappointment that the Cowboys provided their fan base um, in a three-year stretch. This one, though, of those three losses, 2011 against the Giants, 2012 against Washington, 2013 against Philly, not to poo-poo Philly because you're here, but the Cowboys were down Tony Romo in that game. So, I mean, like starting Kyle Orton, there wasn't a lot of hope. Uh, This loss, though, against Washington was the most painful of the three. Uh, The Cowboys offense had been on fire that year. I don't know how well you remember this, BLG, or any Eagles fan remembers, but that was when Des Bryant had finally taken off uh, down the stretch of that 2012 season. He had gone over 200 yards in one game. I mean, he had just been this monster, won a lot of people their fantasy leagues. Uh, The Cowboys had posted over 400 total offensive yards in back-to-back weeks before Week 17, including BLG. They had 458 against Washington on Thanksgiving. Uh, and we're not able to even eclipse 300 in this game. It was a very kind of just womp womp performance. They lost 28 to 18. Um, it was really devastating to lose. You talk about like fluky runs. What was that Washington team? Two and seven, I think. And then they just rallied off mm-hmm. seven wins in a row uh, to win the division. And uh, I mean, the whole world was in love with RG3. Um, and I, I'm going to assume we weren't uh, best pals then, but. I'm going to assume that, like me, you were not sold on RG3 at the time. And uh, obviously, it did not work out for them. But thankfully, Kirk Cousins showed up to save the day. I was scared of RG3 there for a while. You know, pre-injury. Didn't didn't feel good about that. Yeah, but afterwards, it was was so, like, uh, corporate. Like, his whole, like, Operation Patient stuff. That's kind of ridiculous, yeah. Well, yeah, that was, like, the the offseason after his first season. Which, you know, so so the injury and then all that weird you know branding stuff in the right. offseason yeah at that point yeah, I that's my point doubts. go ahead mm-hmm. um yeah so the 2012 season is a very season is a season to me that i very much do not like remember <laughs> just because the eagles were terrible that year and it was kind of like we all saw it coming from a mile away because again like i said earlier the eagles had gone four and eight in 2011 they finished with a four-game winning streak eight and eight but didn't mean anything obviously they didn't make the playoffs it kind of felt like something i talk about a lot in bgn radio a false positive Mm. and the eagles very much bought into a false positive like if the eagles lose you know i don't even know maybe like two of those games they finished six and ten or let's say all of them they finished four and twelve andy reed's probably gone that year you know in 2011 they don't bring him back for a whole nother year which like everyone could feel from a mile away like a waste of time. And sure enough, it was. I just remember being so checked out in that season, like just not even caring by the end, not even caring who else won the division. Like I was still watching the games, of course, but just like I just didn't care. They just really had no emotional investment. So it's kind of funny, like looking back at like, you know, you, you like feeling, you know, certain strongly about that season because I just had like no feelings about that season by the end. It was tough, man. Um, and like I said, you know, Romo and Dez had really cooked up something special. Um, so, like, if we look at this 2012 season, they lost 
um, on November 4th in Atlanta. Um, that game was on Sunday Night Football, and they dropped to 3-5. and five. And then on November 11th, they won at Philly, got to 4-5. and five. They beat the Browns in overtime, the Brandon Whedon, rookie Brandon Whedon-led Browns in overtime, BLG, uh, mm-hmm. to get to 500. They lost to Washington on Thanksgiving, like I said, so they were 5-6. and six, And then they beat the Eagles at home. Uh, I very, very vividly remember Morris Claiborne, then a rookie as well, uh, had a fumble that he returned for a touchdown uh, that season. It was very cool. So they're seven and or six and six, excuse me. They beat Cincinnati in a very emotional game to get to seven and six. They beat Pittsburgh in overtime to get to eight and six. Then they lost in overtime the next week uh, to the New Orleans Saints to fall to eight and seven to set up the NFC's title game for the second year in a row. And the reason, like, I think this is true for Jason Garrett. Like, we talked about all the what ifs. But I think about like some of these games, um, maybe this one is a little bit you know, different in certain senses. But if they if the Cowboys win these games, I don't know what they do in the playoffs. If they win a playoff game, they win a wild card game, whatever. I don't know. But it dramatically changes who he is. Because, I mean, you know better than anybody. Like, he was Mr. 8-8 eight eight those first three years. Yep. You know, like, and that, that's all he was. And, I mean, again, it was a very special type of 8-8 eight and eight in that they lost to all three of their rivals. But if he wins any of those games, especially if he wins, you know, the Giants game the year before, if he wins the NFC East in his first season as the team's head coach or his second season, if he, if he rebounds that way, and, I mean, it changes the whole narrative of Jason Garrett, the whole narrative of Tony Romo. And, I mean, the margin for error really is that thin in the NFL. Yeah, you talk about, like, first impressions, um, maybe extending beyond the first year. But, like, that was just, like, the narrative again that the term you use that like Jason Garrett couldn't shake and that was like that was a specter that was lingering over him the rest of his career and mm-hmm. why people could never really be all in on him because they see they saw what happened they saw the team uh, not be able to win these big games and everyone couldn't get that out of their mind not only from the Cowboys perspective but from I know from the Eagles perspective too like Eagles fans are never scared of Jason Garrett at any point like and that's a big reason why. Mm. Uh, I do want to say Des Bryant was coming off of a performance against New Orleans where he had 224 yards and two touchdowns. And we were all expecting that. And it just didn't happen this week against Washington. It was so, and like, I will never, ever, ever forget the final moments of the game, seeing Tony Romo and RG three, like meeting at midfield after the game and RG three, giving him this, like, keep your head up type thing. And just being so upset just because, (laughs) you know, it's like this rookie telling your veteran quarterback, you know, not to worry about it or whatever. It was so frustrating. Tony Romo would actually go on to get a contract extension with the Cowboys uh, in the off season, which upset a lot of people. Uh, You know how that goes. Uh, but yeah, this was tough to take, which, by the way, BLG leads us to Cowboys Eagles. Uh, well, so what was the record? What was oh, the record for I, Cowboys? You know, you would know if you're paying attention, BLG, uh, 13 and seven, just like it was against okay. the Giants. So All the right, Cowboys, right. Cowboys have been very successful against both the Giants and Washington in recent memory, which is good for them. Not quite as successful against Philadelphia, but still pretty successful nonetheless. All right. Well, let's get to it then. Um, so do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? We, we should go ahead and say uh, that in the last 20 games that they have played against one another, the Dallas Cowboys have won 11. The Philadelphia Eagles have won nine. I'm sure that was very fun for you to do the math on, BLG. Uh, what is the Cowboys record outside of the wildcard round since 1996 in the playoffs? I mean, again, like I, you're a really clever person. Like <laughs> I, I expect more clever jokes from you than, than that. Like you know, six, by the way, if you're I, wondering. I'm just um, saying like, you know, let's test our levels of creativity here. But I digress. I, but go ahead. I think I know yours um, because it's kind of an Ooh. obvious answer. Oh, I so like I this. Let's, let's guess each other's. OK, so you want to guess yeah. first? OK, go ahead. It's the 2017 loss to where it was it was literally like the worst loss 
in the AT&T Stadium, right? It was like the, the worst Cowboys loss that they ever had. It was a game, too, where it kind of looked like the Cowboys were in it in the beginning. Weren't the Eagles like down at halftime? And then the Eagles just turned it on, and they just like beat the crap out of them for the rest of the game. And it was like, oh, man. Yeah, not great. So, so I know that you only know that because I've told you that. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that it was at the time the worst loss in AT&T Stadium's mm-hmm. history, which is incredibly ironic because at halftime of that game, Jerry Jones was honored for going into the <laughs> Pro Football Hall of Fame a few months prior. So lots of lots of irony kind of encircling that. And I, I vividly remember uh, being in the press box for that game. Like, and, uh, like you remember some more than others. And I, I, cause I remember it was really cold outside. Uh, it was like a really cold November night. And I remember talking to a friend of mine, David Chancellor, that was there just about like, man, this locker room is going to be just awful. It's going to be morose. Like these dudes are going to be pissed. Um, because like there, there was a, I don't remember exactly how long it was, but there was a huge Jay Ajayi touchdown. And at the time, Dak Prescott was really struggling. This was the second game without Ezekiel Elliott. They were still the like, well, is Dak only Dak because of Zeke takes? And Carson was on fire. And so, like, it, it, you were starting to face this, like, kind of existential crisis as a Cowboys fan. Like, okay, not only are we bad, uh, not only does this head coach need to go, but maybe we don't have the better quarterback of this duo. Like, there was a, there was a lot of soul-searching going on here. And the locker room was just, I mean, just pin-drop absolute quiet uh and what makes this painful too is hindsight to your point a little bit ago um so the cowboys they were up nine to nothing at halftime and they lost they lost 37 to nine the week before (laughs) this blg uh they lost on the road in atlanta the in the adrian claiborne Chaz green game they lost that game 27 to 7 so this game that we're talking about was november 19th uh, and this, I remember this too. This happened on my cousin's birthday, and he was so pissed off. Uh, but four days later, the Cowboys hosted the Chargers on Thanksgiving, and they lost twenty-eight to six. And I also remember that very vividly. And looking this up while that game was ending, that three-game stretch—the losses to Atlanta, Philly, and the Chargers—was the first time in Dallas Cowboys franchise history that they went three straight games without breaking double digits in terms of points. Wow. Yeah. You know what's kind of funny about this game from an Eagles perspective is that like it doesn't really matter. Like it's not even like oh this was a great win by the Eagles. Like because that season like it, it was a blip on the radar of how special that season one was. Kind of right. it, it's funnier to me. It, it makes it even better for me because it's like this disrespectful element. It's like oh your most devastating loss. Not even like a really great win for us. Like it was fine. You know what was what was That's the best it, what was the best win of that season? And I don't want to give away your answers for next week. But like what was a what was a really about, great win that of twenty seventeen. Regular that, season, yeah, regular season. To be clear, uh, the Giants game where you, you oh know, the overtime or not was it overtime or for regulation? Right, it would, it would have gone into overtime if so Jake Elliott Jake... didn't make a sixty-one yarder mm-hmm. and um or sixty-three yarder. I can't remember now. Um, uh, also the Eagles played the Panthers on Thursday night football that year. I was like a really big like this is like mm-hmm. oh wow the Eagles are like good because like they were getting screwed by the refs in that game like un like just really in a a big way and they still like they still beat the panthers it was awesome win so yeah that game like that kind of again it just seems like a blip on the radar to me in hindsight too like it wasn't it was nice you're beating the crap out of the cowboys i remember specifically um like they were getting to dak all game long i was looking at the box score here they they sacked him four times i know i think Derek barnett strip sacked him i think brandon graham had a really big sack on him at one point dak threw three interceptions in that game so it was just fun to beat up on the cowboys but it wasn't like you know uh anything this it wasn't like oh this triumphant win and it's like one of our best wins it was just it was a really nice win um but it was almost easy to take for granted because of how awesome everything was going on in that season 
That's fair. Um, I'm going to try to guess yours. So are you ready for this? Because I, I have uh-huh. I have like what was going to be my guess, and then I adjusted uh-huh. it. So my okay. guess was going to be the 2014 second meeting between the two teams when Dez bossed, or mossed rather, Nolan Carroll for three touchdowns. But then I thought about it, and I was like, BLG was probably not that committed to the Eagles at that point because Mark Sanchez was starting. Like He, he wasn't emotionally invested. He knew that you know the Eagles were on borrowed time. So my actual guess is the 2016 matchup on October 30th, the first Dak Wentz game that went to overtime because I can only imagine that you were just in pieces after Dak Prescott hit slow-mo Jason Witten in the end zone completely by himself for the game-winning touchdown in overtime. So I thought about <laughs> both of those. It's not my pick, either oh. of those. Well, I'm so happy uh, that there are multiple options for you to consider that were devastating losses. Well, I think, again, though, like the, the 2014 thing, like it couldn't have been super devastating with the, the Sanchez context. Like the Eagles weren't really going to do anything right. that year in the long term anyway. It was devastating. I would say that was the most devastating at the link that I can remember mm, in that time. Good point. Because I remember there was a lot of energy and excitement. And there was a lot of pregame jawing going on. Like that's always yeah. good to see Yeah, between Dez, I think, and Malcolm Jenkins. And I think the Eagles got down in that game. And then they kind of like came back for a little bit too. And I was like, so there's life in the link. And then it just ended really badly because mm. Dez was not only burning uh, Nolan Carroll, but Bradley <laughs> Fletcher as well. Um, so, but I wouldn't say that. And I was considering 2016. And I did want to talk about that game because – this whole narrative, speaking of narratives here, that like, oh, Dak, super clutch. Something that people really forget in that game in 2016 is that Dak Prescott threw a sure interception to Leotis McKelvin and he just dropped it. He just dropped it. Like, he just, he, it was a sure pick. He dropped the ball. Like, it, it couldn't have been any more simple. And then, like, that just gets glossed over because the Cowboys won in overtime, which is fine. They won in the end. I get it. But, like, don't act like he was infallible. I'm to not be, saying you are. To be clear here, Dak has become this like, you know, franchise QB God that people rely on. Like, you know what I mean? Like that has that has evolved over time, but it certainly wasn't the case at that time. And I think something people also forget about that game and and the win and everything wouldn't have happened if not for the Chris Jones fake punt that Jason Garrett called. I mean, Jason Garrett was a, a much, you know, more aggressive head coach in that time. And like there was an incredible NFL films clip of I forget which two Eagles defenders. And they were like they were coming to the bench. They were putting their helmets down. And then, like, in the background, you can see Chris Jones scampering for the first down. They just turn around like, oh, crap, like, we got to go back out there. Like, it's it's those little weird things that made that game what it was. It wasn't, to your point, Dak just – but that game did go a long way at establishing that Dak is better than Wentz narrative. I will say, though, like, that game, I legitimately felt like the Eagles were the better team in that game. I know the mm. final score didn't reflect that. That's not always the case. That's not every the case, like every Eagles loss. I always feel that way. That game specifically, I felt like they outplayed the Cowboys and like deserved to win that game. So that's why that one did hurt. But uh, it's not that one for me. It is the 2018 no oh. clear recovery <laughs> game because that is just, that was just the the biggest joke I've ever seen. And you had you cannot tell me that. That was not an Eagles – like, it, it makes no sense. Watch that play again. The ref said no clear recovery, which isn't even the basis of the rule, by the way. Like, even if that is your, like, determination, that's not what needs to be decided for the Eagles to recover that ball. If you look at the rule, it says if there's no clear recovery, but, like, there's a body of only players from – or, like, a pile of, of team or players from only one team around the ball, then that team gets the ball. Like, because, mm. duh, common sense. And it was so obvious. And, like – 
it was such a gut punch from the jump. Like it didn't feel like a fair game from the jump because the Eagles had this big emotional play that would have set them up in scoring territory from the jump and taking out the Cowboys first chance to score, which is like this huge swing in a game that went to overtime. Mind you, like that was an obvious screw job. That one really sucked. And, uh, so hold up. I think some necessary okay. context here for the listener that isn't uh, doesn't have the Rolodex, you know, pro football, sure. fo- pro football reference memory. Uh, BLG is talking about the second Cowboys Eagles matchup in 2018, and mm. there, it was a fumble on a, on a kickoff return that the Cowboys had. And an important piece of context, I think, is that the person who recovered the fumble was uh, is it pronounced Kamu Gruye Hill? Is that is that the Gruye Hill. Yeah. Hill? That was the person who recovered it. And the reason that that context is necessary is because in the week leading up to that game, what did he say? His, what was his exact quote? He said something like, uh, we're going down there. Like they, they so don't the Cowboys always choke or something. Yes, that's what it was. And he said that. And so like, there was this like heavy Grugier Hill. I know you didn't like the quote at the time, just because it, it creates the attention. Yeah, it was but, dumb. but if he had like, if that had happened and him of all people being the one to recover it, you're right. Like it would have been this injection of like, I told y'all, you know what I mean? And yeah. instead it was like a bullet dodge for the Cowboys. Which didn't even make sense. So I remember like seeing like blogging the boys <laughs> trolling the, us after the games about that. It's like Kamagurje didn't, Hill didn't choke. Like the refs choked. Like he made the play. Like, the, like matter. He, he got the ball. He it's, choked. Like, he didn't get fault. it. He didn't get it clear. He and didn't choke. He, he literally yeah. got the ball and they said he didn't. Like that, what's he supposed to do? What more is he supposed to do on that play? Like he had the ball. I also so, think this was a devastating loss for you. Uh, and I realized some of it was fluky too. Like the overtime touchdown is incredibly fluky. That's why like this would never make my list as the best win because if you win a, a game on a like on a def- on a tipped ball, like there's like yeah. there's some luck involved there. But mm-hmm. um, but like you again to the point we're making here, like narrative drives a lot of things. And this game really, and I remember we trolled you hard after this really drove home the Amari Cooper was worth it. And Golden Tate had not panned out at this point for the oh. Eagles. And this yeah. this was a really like this was a bitter pill to swallow for Eagles fans um also kind of so on the overtime note by the way like this whole thing that like oh Dak owns the eagles it's just total bs like mm. for so two of those wins they got the coin toss right like and the eagles never touched the ball okay that doesn't mean he owns the eagles it means in part he was very Dak lucky is that good dude is that good i mean you know also wanted to note here just as i passed <laughs> by that the eagles uh they actually proposed an overtime rule i think it was a year ago it wasn't this year where the team with more touchdowns gets to decide uh, possession in overtime, if applicable, which might not make sense to people. It's like, how do you have this? How do you have different amount of touchdowns if it's the same score you're going to overtime? Well, the Eagles actually had more touchdowns in that game in 2018 than the Cowboys did, um, but that didn't pass. That's just an aside. Uh, but again, I, I wanted to get into the Dak owns the Eagles thing. Uh, RJ Dak's pass rating against the Eagles is 83.5 in his career. It is the lowest against teams he's played more than once. He has eight touchdowns, seven interceptions, and five fumbles. So, no, get out of here with this Dak owns the Eagles thing. It's just he doesn't like he hasn't really played that well against them at all. Do you want to respond to that first before I get to the rest? I I think that he does. I mean, like, like contextualizing owns is difficult. <laughs> so like, does he own the Eagles? Does he pwn the Eagles? Like whatever. But, and I remember having this discussion with Kist on BGN radio for so long, we didn't really get to see this. Like, and so I think we are actually still somewhat new at establishing it's no longer Dak versus Wentz, but Dak versus the Eagles, because in 2016, they, they only played one game of significance, which was the one that we yeah. talked about, right? That the, And then in 2017, they only played one game of significance, which is the one I brought up. The 16 and 17 finales for these teams were both in Philadelphia, 
both situations where each team had already clinched the number one seed. So, the, you know, they weren't playing anything. So, I mean, they had kind of pushed things for their first two years. And then in 18, the Cowboys swept the Eagles. And so, like, they're, you know, I think that's where the narrative was born. And then in 19, the Cowboys beat the tar out of them the first game. And then, in, mm-hmm. in, you know, the second game is, is where, like, a lot of Eagles narrative came from, like, oh, Wentz elevated, blah, blah, blah. The Cowboys choked, et cetera. Jason Garrett gets dismissed. And then last year, the first game is so difficult to, you know, apply any context within because it's Ben DiNucci. And then Andy Dalton versus Jalen Hurts is nothing. So, like, this, this yeah. is, there's not a lot of meat on this phone. It, it is difficult to, to really establish who Dak is against the Eagles because the last true – you know, game we saw was the 2019, you know, kind of de facto NFC's title game, which the Eagles won. I mean, so, but other than that, I mean, I think he does play, he generally plays very well against the NFC's, but a lot of that is that the division, and obviously this is a grandstanding kind of point, but from a win-loss perspective, he really does. But so there's a lot to that, but I think generally he is very good. If you want to call that owning, I'm fine. If you don't, then I'm okay with that too. If you want to call it 83.5 passer rating, like like the Eagles just can't stop Dak Prescott, like that's just not true to me. Anyway, um, that wasn't the main point here. The main point was kind of get into the what if of this game, RJ, because this is actually really significant where this is Carson Wentz's last game of the 2018 season before right. Mr. Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles comes back in. And basically, like Carson Wentz kind of get like stealth benched after this game. Like, I don't know if you remember at the time, but there was kind of like, oh, he's kind of like questionable to play against the Rams or doubtful or whatever, or his back injury came up. He had been dealing with the back thing for a while, but like they kind of decided to finally like sit him because mm-hmm. like, hey, Carson, like you're too hurt. Like obviously if he had to play life and death, like he can play, like he, mm-hmm. he could play, but he couldn't play super effectively. So I think at that point they kind of basically pulled him, th- you know, through injury. It wasn't just performance, but um, they basically said like, no, like you can't push through this anymore. You're just too hurt, um, which led to Foles, you know, obviously leading the Eagles potentially almost on another Super Bowl run. Not quite, but like, you know, uh, at, at least to the divisional round and thinking at one point, wow, they might actually beat the Saints and get to the NFC Championship game for the second year in a row. So I really think it's interesting to think about like the what if of that. Um, if the Eagles win that game with Carson Wentz, maybe Foles doesn't come in as soon. And then maybe the season isn't saved because Wentz kind of struggles because he's still hurt at that point. I also think... Uh, the Eagles, um, like they don't delude themselves as much as they have in recent years. Like thinking, oh, you know, we had because it's not only about the Super Bowl that they they cite. They do cite the 2018 season as well. Mm-hmm. So if they didn't have that, you know, are they? Is Howie Roseman still here? Is Doug Peterson? You know, are like do they get canned sooner? Or another way to look at that: if the Eagles win that game, and let's say they still pull Wentz because like he is hurt. And they want to bring Foles in because they just feel like he's going to be better and healthier and they need to make that switch. And Foles has the same success. Then the Eagles would have won the NFC East that year if the Eagles win that game in right. Dallas. Because I was looking at it today, going back through all the tiebreakers, and it actually came down to the common games tiebreaker. Uh, and if uh, they had beaten Dallas, they would have been first in the division that year. I think a, a, a different what if that is like a what if in the other direction is what if Carson had sort of self-sat himself a week earlier. Right. Like because the Eagles were coming off of a win against Washington entering that game. Right. And so what what if Foles plays that game and what if Foles beats the Cowboys? You know what I mean? Like, oh, my God. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, that what if to me is more fascinating because the, the, the Wentz part of it is like ultimately like any what if we play with. And I think this is true for both. Like any what if with Wentz ultimately will somehow end 
with him being narcissistic and ruining it. Any what if uh-huh. with Foles will ultimately somehow end with him not being good enough. That's just like the magic will run out at a certain point. So that mm-hmm. would have happened. Like it, the packaging would have looked different. Uh, but I also like you. Like I think the what if you know we know the Cowboys won this game, and I think if they lose this game, like we talked about before, I and they don't win the NFC East. I mean. Does Jason Garrett get to stick around for 2019? Uh, because they did move on from Scott Linehan that year. And actually, this game uh, is one of my favorite Amari Cooper memories because after the game, he talked about in the locker room how, you know, at one point he had a 75-yard touchdown in this game. And right before that play, after they broke the huddle, he said he was pissed off because he just had another stop route. And he was just like, man, come on again. And he told Dak that. And Dak said, man, you know, like, just run it. I guess like being a good soldier type thing. And I guess when they got out there, Dak tells Amari, hey, you know what? Screw it. Just go. And Dak hits him for a 75-yard touchdown. And that, I, like to me, that was like the final nail in Scott Linehan, uh, so to speak. I mean, in, in terms of his career as the Cowboys offensive coordinator. And so the what if, if the Cowboys don't win this game is really, really massive. Like, does... Does everything change for them? Is there a new head coach in 2019? Do they still re-sign Amari Cooper, et cetera, et cetera? I do remember looking at this game more specifically. Uh, I remember tweeting this during the game, and I mentioned that the Cowboys went up 9 to nothing on the Eagles in the game you correctly guessed for me. They were up 9 to nothing in this game. And I remember thinking, like, holy crap, it's happening again. Because it was the very next year, you know what I mean? And so uh, very, very tense game this was. Uh, that gave us some great photos of Amari Cooper afterwards. We still use those photos all the time at BTB, the, the game-winning touchdown. I mean, that was just so – like, how many game-winners, again, do you see where Russell Douglas, like, deflects the ball somehow right into – like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, how did that even happen? Like, I, I don't know. That that was really tough. That was really hard after that one, especially for me with the Dak stuff, just the, the false mm. narrative that he somehow, like, owns the Eagles because of his starting record. Okay, people like QB wins when it, it, it benefits them and their right. talking point, sure. Um, yeah, so that was tough. That was a really tough one. Um. Anything else you want to say, BLG, besides the fact that the Cowboys are the only team with above 500 records against all three division rivals? Again, with the <laughs> nuclear recovery game in there, which the Eagles should have okay. won, and the 2016 over team. So very close, though. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, 11. So again, to recap for the Eagles, 11-9 against Washington football team, 9-11 against Dallas, 15-5 and to just own the Giants every year. Um, I was trying to think. I was trying to think about this. Do you remember, like, vividly any Washington-New York game? Like, a common game between the two of them? Like, this one no. stick out in your mind? Nope. I think that's amazing. that they're Because I agree with you. They're these two kind of, like, forgettable teams that play in these massive markets that play so many games against, you know, really high-profile teams. That's amazing to me that they're these just these, like... like And, like, there are times, and I know you agree with this, where, like, I don't know, Monday Night Football is... Um, New Orleans, Atlanta, or even those Green Bay, Chicago games, which can be duds, but or uh, New England, Buffalo, or uh, Kansas City, Denver, like those, you're, you're always like, oh man, it's gonna be great. Like I'm gonna get whatever food, whatever spicy plate of wings, and I'm gonna enjoy mm-hmm. the heck out of this. There is never a time where I'm like, oh my goodness, I cannot wait for this New York, Washington game ever. Until this year, when uh, we're both better, <laughs> and the Cowboys are in the dumpster fire, and you're looking forward to some actually good football, and you're seeing the the Titans of the division, the not the Tennessee Titans, but the the, the metaphorical Titans, uh, the football team with your favorite coach Ron Rivera leading the them to a second straight NFC title, which hasn't been done since 2004, mm-hmm. as you know. So, so yeah, you can have that to look forward to this year. I guess the only thing that I can think of really 
is just top of my head last season where uh, it was like Washington going for two, right? Then they go for like the two point conversion at the end of the game. They didn't get it. So they lost to the Giants. Like, okay, that's probably the most intrigue or drama there's been in some time. I also um, didn't, didn't Kirk not beat the Giants one week 17 to like oh, yeah. With, yeah. With, a, with a wild card burst or something on the line? Like that was the Giants. So I think that was 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, just vintage Kirk Cousin game. Like week 17, playoffs winning in, and he comes up super small. And the he's, Giants' like defense like wasn't even good that year right. too. It was like yeah, of course he's the, he's the Jason Garrett of quarterbacks. It's really what it is. Uh, and you but, love him, so that uh, makes sense. I look. I'll be fully honest. I don't know if I ever said this. I interviewed Kirk at the Super Bowl. Did I ever tell you this? Hmm. at the Super Bowl in Atlanta and it was at the Puppy Bowl set because he was doing some partnership with Puppy Bowl and I had to walk like a mile uh, to be able to do this and it was one of the coolest interviews I've ever been a part of a lot of the reason was that there were all these puppies around but like it was really cool it was one of the first like bigger profile interviews I ever did so I just have a soft spot and he's a San Antonio Spurs fan did you know that about Kirk Cousins hmm. why I, uh, he just likes their style of play. That's what he said. He, you oh know, he, like, he likes the their teamwork, possible. their teamwork, and the way they go about building their team. That, et that makes so much sense now that you say that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> he's so lame, dude. He's just uh, he's so lame. He is very cool. Um, and you know, one day you, me, Kirk, Terrell Owens, we're gonna go and do something special. I don't know what it is, but we will do that thing. Uh, so yeah, BLG. Uh, you know, I'm glad we got the devastating losses out of the way. Next week, we will go over the best wins over the last decade uh, for every or each of these teams against all of the NFC East teams. But yeah, that about does it for this episode. I give you the final word, and then we leave. Bye. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.